one of the most impactful discussions I've had throughout this program is talking about how art is used as a artist's voice or opinion or just a general way of communication. Um, the artist can use their art to connect with people's emotions and even try and make people stop and think about, you know, what does the art represent? What is its meaning? You know, what do they think on the topic and how do they feel about the topic or the art? One of the major ways to fish in Alaska is through trawling. And trawling is basically there's large net behind the back of the boat and then they sail the boat around and it collects all of the fish. But it catches a lot of bycatch, which is harmful for the harmful for the environment because they can't choose what they catch. It's catching so many unwanted fish of a specific species that it is now endangering that species. Here is my poem that we did in one of the workshops. I love the ocean, but I can't recognize it. It is getting worse. That was Haven White, Anub Hamaya, and Elizabeth Esquivel, talking about some of the things they learned as members of the Teen Climate Communicators Program. The program is hosted by the Anchorage Museum and offers activities and conversations around the past, present, and future relationships between people and the land. Those involved learn about how climate change is affecting Alaska's diverse landscapes by hearing from museum and community experts. Climate change is an ongoing conversation one that is constantly evolving. So to talk about it responsibly and thoughtfully requires an ongoing education. That includes citing credible sources and learning about new ways to convey the effects of climate change. In the following conversation, I'm joined by four other teen climate communicators. Sophie Chisholm, Eleanor Poe, Emma Ellison, and Emma Haas. Welcome to Chattermarks, a podcast of the Anchorage Museum, dedicated to exploring Alaska's identity through the creative and critical thinking of ideas, past, present, and future. My name is Cody Liska, and I'll be your host. Let's do introductions, and to start off, maybe... It'll be easier if I just call on someone. So, Sophie, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm Sophie Chisholm. I am a freshman at West High School. I enjoy getting outdoors, skiing, biking. Um, I like playing soccer. And I just love being outdoors and at school and hanging out with my friends and family. Hello, I'm Emma Ellison. I am a freshman at West High School. Uh, I enjoy biking and the beach, and uh, I do a lot of sports such as softball and dance. Um, hi, I'm Emma Haas. I'm 15, and I'm a sophomore at Eagle River High School. Um, I really enjoy reading and snowboarding, and this is my second year with Team Climate Communicators. I'm Eleanor Poe. I am a freshman at Stellar Secondary School, and I have been observing and talking about climate change for quite a long time, but this is, in fact, my first year with Teen Climate Communicators. I'll ask Eleanor this first, but this question goes 
to everyone. What does the Teen Climate Communicators Program mean to you? It's important to remember that, um, well, first off, Teen Climate Communicators is a program run by the Anchorage Museum. And the idea is to empower the teenagers of the time um, with knowledge of climate change so that maybe we can help educate other people. That's great. I wonder, does everyone agree with that? Or do you have kind of your own own perspective on what teen climate communicators are? Um, I definitely agree with Eleanor. Um, but my kind of interpretation is that it's a group kind of um, that we kind of help run, I guess. It's not like we're a part of it. And it's more for us to learn about how climate change impacts our community and how we can share the information that we learn with other teens and other members of our community. So like an outreach thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I agree with Emma H., um, I think it's very a very educational experience, and I have learned a lot about climate change and what's happening around me in Anchorage in Alaska, um, and it's improved my knowledge a lot on the issue, and it's made me a lot more open to talking about climate change, um, say in front of my friends and family, rather than just um, going about or like learning about it on my own. I agree. Um, it's where we, where teens all get together and learn about climate change and how it's affecting and to also uh, help us advocate and to pass on that information and that we can change what we're doing to help the planet and to help stop climate change. And do you think that that perspective has stayed the same or do you think it's changed at all since you first started the program? My perspective um, changed during the program. At first, I just thought it was a way to just learn about climate change, but then advocacy kind of help came in to pass along. And then we also did articles where we shared what we learned about climate change on our own research. And we also had people come in. And so that was a way um, to help with the conversation of climate change. Mm hmm. Um, I can say that last year's program was more focused on like the teens having our own breakout groups and kind of running our own program. And this year is more learning and accepting and trying to just gather all the information that we can about climate change and its impacts on Alaska to share it. So it's more um, educational, I think, and less like trying to teach other people. Um, I think that before, when I came into this program, I had just been watching documentaries, just reading stuff in the paper, not really taking any action, but this has really inspired me to start taking action in my community, um, and warn others and inform others about climate change. What kind of action? I think that it starts first with, like, local clubs and groups that you can find, um, that have, that have people who have the same opinion as you mm-hmm. and from there you can arrange um, events such as marches and 
going in front of the assembly and starting to change people's opinions and perspective. And then another important thing about this program is that, um, I mean, I went into it thinking that newspapers and scientific reasoning was the only way to talk about climate change, but it's not because we met all of these amazing artists and poets and scientists and teachers who are using different methods to do the same thing to educate people about climate change and do mm -hmm. their best to try to slow it down and stop it. And that is some of the actions that we are now able to take because I didn't know they existed until this program. Do you have any examples of that, Eleanor? I, I think that's super interesting that um, coming into this, it sounds like you had the outlook that you needed to approach talking about climate change um, in a scientific way. And then through this program, you realize that, hey, there's different ways to talk about it. That's exactly what happened. Like, for example, recently we met with a person who paints murals to tell people about climate change. And uh, he put his ideas into paintings to remind people that climate change was happening and that we needed to do something about it. And when he painted these murals on buildings, it would force people to look at them and maybe they would be inspired to take action instead of like having people talk at you about things that are happening and what you should do. Like it can be emotionally motivated by a painting instead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wonder if anybody else has any um, experiences like that. You know, every week the group met and talked about ideas and themes that apply to climate change. And there were six guest speakers. Um, did any of those speakers stick out to anybody else? Um, there was one speaker that we had, um, Andrea Wallensack, and I think I said her name right. She really like made a connection with me. And um, I believe she was the one who did poetry with rack lines. And that really kind of helped um, me understand how using art as a form of expressing your feelings or facts about climate change to other people is um, a really great way, you know, using art. Mm -hmm. I think that helped me realize that. And Emma H., you said that um, you really connected with that. Is there a reason that you connected with that? Or are you an artist? I am not an artist, um, but I think that that kind of her lesson, I guess you could call it, helped me get more into poetry mm -hmm. and um, especially climate change and um, poetry related to climate change. So I think that kind of like opened up a whole new section of information that I, you know, wasn't aware of. So I think that's kind of how she helped me. Yeah, that's great. Um, okay, so Hollis Mickey was a poet who um, worked with us, conducted a workshop um, on poetry where we came up with a location where we had a very good experience with the waterways. Um, we called it where land meets water. Um, 
and that uh, her presentation really stuck out to me because I have never been a huge fan of poetry myself um, or a poet, and she really helped guide us through putting words down on paper that really related to us and personal experiences mm -hmm. that helped us connect to the waterways and how climate change is affecting the waterways around Alaska. And, um, yeah. And that's the theme of the program for this fall. It was waterways. I wonder what did you learn about how climate change is impacting waterways? Part of it is how people are treating waterways through pollution. Like people are being really, not all people, um, people are being really careless on their pollution and it makes its way into the waterways, which ends up in rack lines mm -hmm. um, and in our wildlife and um, just like the beauty of our oceans is um, being partly destroyed by these plastic pollutions. Um, it might be important to remind people what a waterway is, just in case maybe we don't know. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, Eleanor. What is a waterway? So a waterway, which was the focus of Teen Climate Communicators, is a river, canal, or other route for travel by water. So basically anywhere that you could be on a boat or a raft or a canoe or like travel over while you're where where you're traveling over the water that's a waterway and so from from my perspective a waterway is um they're all around us you know we we can't escape waterways and so when waterways are polluted our communities are polluted does that sound about right that's exactly what happens and I wonder if any of you have thought about what that means to you and your way of life, you know, how you personally live your life and how you might be affected in the future. Uh, personally, for me, when waterways are affected, because I'm indigenous, I go salmon fishing a lot. And so the salmon counts have been uh, decreasing over the years. So that's something that for me is that I want to change. And that's one of my motivations for talking about climate change is I have these specific memories of fishing with my great grandparents who passed down stories of their childhood and how they grew up. Um, and they pass it down to me while we're fishing. Emma, would you mind telling us one of those stories that have been passed down to you? Yeah, uh, so both my grandparents grew up in a uh, different rural villages, but both very rural Alaska. Um, and so one of them being a Fognac uh, village, which is no longer uh, here. And so one of them that I remember is the Coast Guard on Christmas would come and drop little candy or just little presents from airplanes mm -hmm. for, and all the kids would go out and get all excited and run around and try and catch the candy because it was so rural. It was very hard to get stuff in. From your perspective, how is that changing with climate change? 
how is how is climate change affecting that? Well, my grandparents also share stories of like a smokehouse. So my great grandpa, he built his own smokehouse to smoke um, cold smoke salmon. And so you can't smoke salmon if you don't have enough salmon. And so you or for us specifically, we like to smoke king salmon. Mm -hmm. um, And those counts uh, specifically have been decreasing over the years and it used to be oh you caught a king salmon like everyone's catching king salmons to now um when i went back to kodiak this summer it was only six king salmons had been caught over the course of like a couple months of fishing so we can't do that cold smoking um and passing down those traditions like emma e is talking about and i know this is a a broad question and I think there are many answers to it, but what does climate change mean to you? And this this question goes out to the whole group. I have kind of like a little story. Can I tell that? Is that okay? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, um, so I live in Anchorage and Seward is like three hours away. And it's um, we go there a lot during the summer for fun, camping and stuff like that. And um, in Seward is Exit Glacier. I'm sure you guys have you know heard of it. And I remember, like, when I was younger, we could drive up to the um, glacier to the viewpoint, and then you, like, hike up to the glacier, and you can touch it, and you can walk on it, and you can see it, and it's there, and you're on it, and they have little um, posts of where the glacier was. So, like, in the year 1890, this is where the glacier was, and now it's, like, road. Um, So that was super cool, and last summer, I went back there, and you can no longer see the glacier from the hiking trail. It's just river and mountain. So over the course of like, you know, six, seven years, the glacier retreated so much that like, that's a core memory for me. Mm-hmm. And because of climate change, like younger kids, like my, I can't take my little brother to go do that because climate change has made the glacier like melt and retreat so far back. I wonder what that's like to have an experience like that that you definitely can't share with your brother because that place doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, it's super, it was super mind-blowing. Like, I guess I didn't, um, up until that point, I hadn't really truly understood how climate change could impact my personal life. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, you know, you see how it, it impacts the world on a huge scale. But personally, I had never, like, truly saw the impacts of climate change until that like moment. So I think it was super eye-opening and honestly really sad. Yeah. <laughs> um to not be able to share that with, you know, anyone. What I think is interesting about that Emma H is that um this is happening to nature. You know, we have these businesses and these institutions around town like say Blockbuster comes to mind. And that is a business, right? But it holds a very special place in my heart. And I know that um, when I have kids, I won't really be able to share that experience with them. But that's that's just a business. You know, That's those come and go. Um, but to have that same experience with nature is, is a pretty wild thought. Yeah, definitely. I also remember going to Blockbuster as um, a little kid and it's 
not around anymore, um, which is crazy, but yeah. Another crazy thing is that, you know, we can say that climate change is affecting nature because it is, but another, like, a part of nature is us, like, us humans, like, it's, it's affecting us, and I think that's really important to remember. Like, to me, climate change is the reason that my self-proclaimed aunt's village is um, debating whether to relocate entirely from the island that they live on because it is eroding into the sea and um, it's not getting cold enough up there anymore for ice to fully form so they can't get mail out very often. So I think it's important to remember that no matter who you are, climate change will affect you. It just might not be obvious yet. Yeah, I think that's a great point um, that humans are a part of nature because I think that so often we we think of ourselves as different or other than a tree or a bear or something like that. Um, another thing that I want to add really quickly to that is that um, we are primarily the ones that are increasing climate change by burning fossil fuels and um, increasing the concentration of greenhouse gases around the earth. Um, so it is affecting us, but we are also the ones who are mostly causing the problem. And that's where this like dark irony comes in because we're the ones causing the problem. And then at the end of the day, it will come back to bite us. Something that I was thinking about as I was writing these questions down is if any of you remember when you were first introduced to the idea of climate change? I actually remember very vividly. I believe I was in second grade when my dad, after school, he needed to keep working and my mom was working. So he picked me up from school and he drove me back to his office and he introduced me to all of his office friends and I still know a bunch of his office friends and they're all wonderful people. But um, I saw these posters of like sad animals and a bunch of words that I was like trying to figure out how to read and I couldn't read them quite yet. And um, I asked him what they meant. So he started explaining to me this thing called global warming, which is what we were calling it back then before we realized uh, like despite like, even though that's what's going to happen in the end, there's a lot of crazy things that's going to happen before that. Mm -hmm. So back then, like just when I was in second grade, <laughs> um, it was global warming. And I was like, oh, no, what's happening? Because I saw all these pictures of very little, sad, little dead seabirds. I love birds. Um, it made me very sad to see them dead. And he told me about um, harmful algal blooms, which is poison algae, essentially, um, that is becoming way more abundant because of climate change. So I took all of this information that he had given me and drew a very silly little drawing with a whiteboard marker on a small whiteboard of my thoughts of how global warming at that time is what it was called, worked with um, with the sun rays and the ocean and the algae and the fish that eat the algae and the mers that eat the fish and the mers die. And I drew a big factory and a plane that were belching out 
smoke and exhaust and pollution. It was just my little second grade mind taking everything I had heard and putting it onto the whiteboard. And that was my first interaction with the concept of climate change. And Eleanor, when you look back on that photo or even think back on it, how close were you to, um, you know, how climate change really looks, the reality of it? I, it was actually like scary accurate. Mm -hmm. Does anybody else have any memories of when they were first introduced to climate change? Um, I wasn't really aware of the problem. Um, sure, I had heard the phrases climate change and global warming for a while um, before I actually got much information on the topic. Um, but I remember a couple of people who skipped school in elementary school um, to go march around downtown, um, maybe with signs and just warning people about climate change. Um, and after that, I was kind of like, what are, like, what's the purpose of doing this? And mm -hmm. so then I kind of launched into a, a lot of research um, and started watching documentaries and being aware of things around me. So it wasn't one specific moment. It was just over time, I had started to learn a lot more about climate change. I remember when I was in middle school and I was at basketball practice and one of my teammates was missing and I asked like where are they and the coach said oh they're at a climate protest um it was like the friday climate protest and i had no clue what that was so i went home and asked my parents and they informed me what climate change was and that there are these protests going on and how it is affecting us and especially alaska mine is kind of a mix like it wasn't one specific moment it was kind of drawn out over time but in elementary school, we had to do this, like, project on an animal or something like that. I don't exactly remember what it was. And um, I would recently found out about bioluminescent plankton, mm -hmm. which I still think are so cool. And um, they're little plankton, and they kind of light up, I guess you could say, when, like, motion. So it's there's, like, super famous videos of people night surfing off the coast of, like, Florida, and the ocean is lit up by these little plankton, and they're microscopic and um i did a huge project on them and they were dying rapidly and they still are and they're um becoming more and more rare because they're super super sensitive to the temperature and water and they can only live in a certain like range of temperature like the water has to be the right you know temperature and um because of global warming and the thermal expansion of ocean water they are um you know, becoming more and more endangered and extinct because um, they can't live in their habitat anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just, that was like super sad and eye-opening. And that was kind of when I first realized like what climate change was and how it was affecting, you know, wildlife and animals and things like that. And that kind of got me into a deep dive of climate change. Someone earlier brought up conversations with friends and family and how this program has has helped them out with that i wonder how everyone feels about that do you feel like having gone through this program you're more easily able to have a thoughtful conversation with your friends and family about climate change 
I can say that after going through this program, I have developed like a certain level of confidence mm-hmm. of talking about these kind of serious topics, especially with my close friends. And this program um, helped me start uh, what we call a green club at my high school. And it started with um, like me talking to my friends about how I'm part of this climate action group. And then we started talking about climate change and how we should do something that's more readily available for students at our school, which kind of developed into this club project. And so I think this program, um, again, just helped me gain confidence with talking about, you know, these serious subjects with people that I'm close to and making it, you know, easy and more comfortable. What do those conversations look like? I guess it was just like, what can we do as, you know, teenagers in um, like a not super populated state with, you know, not an unlimited amount of resources. So what can we do as individuals, which I'm not sure I know the answer (laughs) to that. Um, and it just kind of also conversations like, um, what can we do and why is this important to us? And if we don't do something like, what are the effects that we will see? And just kind of, kind of things like that. Um, yeah. So I know my friends, they are conscious about, like, they know the idea of climate change. Um, but I think something that's really opened me up is I had a conversation with them and like people who I'm close to just explaining what it actually is and how it's affecting our personal lives um, and other people's lives. Mm -hmm. That's really helped me because then we can all understand issues. Like when I go on, um, when I go on topics about climate change and they don't really understand what I'm saying, I feel like they get it more now, um, now that I've introduced them and give them a little, like, informational speech about it. I wonder if I give you a scenario and you could approach it in in a way that might be um, that might consider everything that you've learned through this program. So it'll be simple. the 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 situation is you have a um, maybe a family member or a friend who is a climate denier. 
they are an ardent climate denier and they uh they also say they're open-minded they're open to um, understanding climate change how would you start that conversation i am always eager to share my opinion so i would have to remind myself to be calm that i can rescue this person from the depths of unknowing um, <laughs> i can bring them back to the light side and I would say that, one, it's real. Uh, no, so I'd probably close with that. Um, I like to say it's real all the time, though. So the knowledge that I have gained here is more like how people are expressing this. So I would suggest that this person maybe would look at a painting and I would tell them what the painting is about. And I could read them a poem and I could tell them what the poem was about. And I can already tell you that if this was a friend or a family member, they would think I'm crazy if I tried to do this <laughs> like I normally would, but they always think I'm crazy, so that's fine. Uh, so after they got over thinking I was crazy, I would show them specific examples. Like I would explain how glaciers are retreating. I would give everyone's favorite example, the polar bear. And I would explain the big myrrh die-offs. Those are adorable little seabirds. And I would explain how the oceans are getting warmer. And that means that species are moving around. That means that the sea ice is melting faster than normal. And maybe if this person was into statistics, I could show them a time lapse of the sea ice growth because apparently that's a thing and it's a very cool thing. So it shows you how much the sea ice has melted and like shrunk back to the shores. And then I would give this person some time to think and I would ask them what else they needed to see or hear to consider admitting that climate change is a real thing. Mm -hmm. um, I think that first I would start by asking them a couple questions and being like, so why don't you believe that it's real? And where did you hear, like, what are your sources? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then maybe finding a point of connection. So if they're really interested in art, um, as Eleanor previously stated, I might show them a piece of artwork and explain to them the relevance of it. Um, if they're interested in like birds and I don't know, <laughs> I'm not sure, um, animals maybe, I'd tell them the impacts of their habitat, um, the impact that climate change has made on their habitat and just find a point of interest to them um, that would connect them to it. Mm -hmm. I would start off with examples of how climate change is just affecting Alaska here, um, such as our winters are getting just more cold and wet instead of snow. And then I would also do what Sophie does, and I would find a point of connection and just like ask, why don't you believe in climate change? 
and like what are you interested in are you interested in art or more of the statistics and then provide them with reliable sources in that area talking about climate change mm-hmm. um i heavily agree with emma e and uh sophie um i think that finding that point of connection is key to help someone understand because i think people are kind of you know um afraid of what they don't know or they try like they don't try to understand you know Mm -hmm. so i think that um like sophie said if they're interested in art show them art if they're interested in science or facts show them science or facts or like if there's someone that they have highly respected um show them something like that i think would be really helpful I think another important thing to mention is like to stay calm because even if you're really involved in this movement for climate change, um, you don't really want to come at them with a lot of facts and you have to know when to back off. Do you mean that when maybe you can come in too hot, it seems uh, maybe a little overbearing? Yes, definitely. Like if you, if you come in with the attitude that you're like, oh, I'm right and I know I'm right. Um, and your your belief is fake. You just have to let them um, share what they think first rather than just coming into it with a lot of gusto. Mm-hmm. And do you think that your age, being a teenager, allows you to see this issue differently than an adult would? Well, I think it's kind of harder for us because when we're younger, we don't remember every single little thing we see. Um, say you see a glacier when you're like one and your family goes and hikes it and you come back and you're like 14, um, you don't remember what it was like. Maybe you see in pictures, mm-hmm. but I think it's easier if you're an adult and you say you were 20 and you come back to the same place when you're like 50. Um, you can definitely remember more vividly than if you were just a child. Mm-hmm. I think with the communication aspect of it, though, being a teenager does help because then other teenagers are more likely to listen to you and, like, consider what you have to say. And I think that also, sorry, one more thing. Um, Since we're the generation that's coming up, um, I think a lot of people will listen to us because they're leaving the planet behind for us to figure out what to do with it. Um, and if we have these ideas, then maybe they'll just help um, to pass it down to the younger generation in a good way. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Alaskans have a different relationship or even a different perspective of climate change? I entirely and wholeheartedly think that Alaskans are being affected a little bit differently and therefore have a bit of a different view on climate change. And my reasoning for making such a bold and big statement like that is because of salmon. And a lot of Alaskans know about salmon. We like looking at salmon. If we have the ability to, we eat salmon. Smoked salmon is delicious. Um, So salmon is like really important to being an Alaskan. Mm-hmm. And climate change is affecting salmon specifically. And um, also the sea ice. Like if you're going, if you live somewhere further north than um, 
like obviously people experiencing effects of climate change in Florida aren't experiencing the problems that we're having with melting sea ice. So we do experience it somewhat differently. I agree with Eleanor. Um, most Alaskans do some form of outdoor activity as hunting, fishing, hiking. And so when you do the same thing every year, you start to notice changes and you start to see the difference no matter what outdoor activity you're doing. So we do have, I would say, a better perspective of how climate change is being affected because we ourselves are seeing it each year. I think that also the lower temperatures are getting higher and higher. Um, so just firsthand Alaskans experience that maybe there's not enough snow as the years go on or the temperatures are just getting warmer over the winters and the winters are shorter, the summers are longer. I wonder if you or or anybody else in the conversation have personally noticed any differences in Alaskan winters. I remember in like 2011 or 2012, I think, we broke the record for the most snowfall. I don't exactly remember when, but I remember like my whole family rushing out to like see all the snow and we have not gotten that much snow since then. And I think that like that's kind of showing how our winters are getting more and more um, wet and icy and the roads are worse this year. And um, I think like that's just kind of drastically showing how different it can be or it has been. I think another maybe like quite obvious to people who go outside all the time during winter, like an indicator there would be that it rains now in winter. It's not supposed to rain during winter. So that's that's an indicator that most people would be able to see. Uh, for me, I have this specific memory of when I was six and we had like three, four feet of snow. And I remember stepping in the snow and my foot went through it and I got like my leg stuck. And so I like had to take my foot like out of my boot. And then my mom had to come and get a shovel and dig up my boot from like this three feet of snow and then <laughs> I was like maybe seven and yeah it was very funny um and then when I look out my window now when I step outside now it's maybe a foot of snow like it doesn't there's not as much snow and it got much colder especially this year much faster mm -hmm. it went into negative numbers very quickly I also have a personal experience. So I remember maybe when I was three-ish and my brother was about five, um, our dad would help us build these snow forts in our yard. Um, and looking at back at the pictures, we had enough snow in our yard to form a little snow castle fort thing um, and also have remaining snow on the ground. And I feel like it would be really hard to reach that point of making a whole entire um, snow fort with out having using up all the snow on the yard. Mm -hmm. You know, when you all think about the future and how it relates to climate change and how climate change will affect that future, what are your hopes and also what are your fears? One of my fears is um, traditions aren't going to be passed down, um, especially since I'm indigenous, those traditions of fishing 
are even just now getting harder and harder to pass down because there's just lower salmon counts so its traditions and culture might be a little lost um, but one of my hopes is people are starting to talk more about climate change and are starting to realize how it is affecting um, just nature and everything in general so mm-hmm. there is hope that it will change and that we will be able to stop it. I hope that also using um, natural resources such as um, re or sorry, what's it called? <laughs> like um, renewable energy. Yes, renewable energy. Thank you, Eleanor. I think reusing, uh, using really <laughs> sorry, using renewable energy um, and having maybe like more recycling bins, biking to school or work. These are all little things that we can do um, that one at a time will help us uh, combat or help fight climate change. I sort of immediately take a pessimistic view of the future because that's just my nature. But I think that we can be hopeful because we do have these alternative energy and renewable energy options. We just need to like implement them and use them. And we have figured out how to make like food that doesn't require producing a lot of pollutants. Like we know how to do that. So I think it's reasonable to be hopeful that the future isn't super bleak and with crazy storms and heat and all terribleness. So in that same future, how do you think you'll talk to the children in your life about climate change? I think that it kind of depends whether it goes in a a positive direction or a negative direction. So if it goes in a positive direction, we could be like, oh, well, um, we were all um, scared of what the future might bring, but we did these solutions to help um, end the problem and we're still working towards a greater future today. But if it goes in a negative direction, we might tell them about how we had so much hope, but we and how um, we as humans destroyed um, the hope for the planet. What's interesting about that is it's as if it seems that um, we've already conquered climate change or given up on it when realistically by the time we're adults we're still going to be like working on it and no one's going to give up on it so if we did end up like not being able to well (laughs) being too lazy i should say to implement alternative energy and um, renewable energy to make society run then i would explain this to children much how I do now, actually. It's this force created by us. Um, And I would probably give them basic mechanics with the ozone layer and carbon dioxide. And essentially, we have messed up the atmosphere of the Earth. And it's the reason, like, if we're going in the future, if we're going with negative, I would say, it's the reason the sea ice are gone. It's the reason the salmon are gone. It's the reason that polar bears no longer exist. Um, I don't know. I mean, they probably would have heard of polar bears. <laughs> but like, if we're able to slow it down, 
then I would probably say it's the reason why polar bears are endangered. And it's the reason why you guys back to school every day. Or it's the reason why we make sure to turn off our lights. Because if we don't, then us humans have messed up the globe a lot already. So we really need to make sure that we don't mess it up further and maybe we can even reverse the effects of climate change. Um, I think Eleanor summed that up really well. And my response to your question, Cody, would just be, um, no matter what we do say, I think involving children and especially obviously teens in um, just talking about climate change is super vital and important. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, because they're the future. And I think that, yeah, as Eleanor explained really well, like no matter what we say, um, we should talk about it with children. I think that's super important. I agree. Um, no matter what we say, we do need to talk um, about climate change and keeping programs like Teen Climate Communicators um, in the future will also be a really good resource for the youth to learn and talk and advocate about climate change. Mm -hmm. And what do you think it means for humans to take responsibility for accelerating climate change? Well, it certainly takes an amount of skill, you could say, for lack of a better word, I guess, to take responsibility for something that you did wrong. Like, some people have a hard time admitting that they pronounce the word funny. Mm -hmm. Like, some people have a hard time admitting that they really shouldn't have said that. So, I think for us as a human race to, well, the people who are polluting, to collectively say that we did this, we need to fix it. That's like a really big step forward if we could actually do that. Um, kind of adding on to that is that maybe some people feel guilty and that's why they say that they don't believe in climate change is because they know that we're the problem and they don't want to admit to being the problem and the solution. Mm -hmm. And I also think it means um, it affects your daily routine. You know, if you are a person who likes to keep a routine and then you have to admit that you're responsible for something like accelerating climate change, not fully responsible, but in part responsible, then that means that, you know, if especially if you fully believe that, that means you have to completely alter your routine. You know, you have to stop using, um, you know, one-use plastics. You have to cut down on fossil fuels. You have to do all of these things that are so integral to all of our lives. I think admitting that we're the problem is a great first step for that. Um, I also agree that admitting we're the problem will help a step forward, but it will also probably help uh, people not worry so much about change and go along with the change and help change. So to stop using single-use plastic, for an example. And let me know what you all think about this, but I wonder, um, because I'm, I'm super interested in, 
in what Eleanor said, and we've all since agreed with, that the first step is admitting, you know, that this is our fault. But I wonder, taking that a step further, if that, if by all of us admitting and taking responsibility for exacerbating climate change, I wonder if it also kind of alleviates some of that guilt. Oh, totally. I would definitely say that admitting that you are contributing to the progression of climate change and if a bunch of people were able to all together admit that they were contributing to climate change then it would definitely take a lot of the pressure and guilt off of you and you might actually be able to work harder towards a solution that way yeah i definitely agree with that and i think that um as i think eleanor said earlier it takes a certain level of bravery to admit that and once we, you know, we as a community, as, um, as a nation, as, you know, people of the earth, once we, um, kind of come together and admit or realize, I guess, that Mm -hmm. we are the cause of this, um, it kind of alleviates, um, any sort of tension and it kind of helps us, um, become focused on how to develop a solution for these problems that we're facing. Yes, I definitely agree with um, Eleanor and MH. Um, I also think that people will start to realize once they admit it that maybe eating a little less meat or no meat um, wouldn't hurt or biking to school or work wouldn't hurt or recycling wouldn't hurt. Um, All those things, they wouldn't impact you in a negative way and they'll help the planet. I agree. Um, admitting that we are the problem will help with personal guilt, but also help people realize that it's everyone and it's not just personally you and that it's everyone that needs to change and it will help with that step. So we've talked a lot about the importance of understanding climate change and what it means to our futures. But what have you learned about how we can get involved to put these ideas in action? Um, I've learned that there are a lot of ways, um, depending on what you're interested in. Again, if you're interested in art, you can start expressing it through art. Um, If you prefer the social aspect of it, you can go and talk to a big group of people that might impact their decisions. Um, You can also just do things like composting, planting a tree to make better oxygen around your house, um, having plants, um, just little simple things like that. I agree. I learned that there are many different ways that you can teach people about climate change and to also just start the conversation and to just start talking to people, um, whether that is your friends or family, about climate change and to take that first step and it will help later on. And I think for artists and poets who are passionate about climate change but are like way too nervous to like have that be the focus of their piece or to talk about it, it also became apparent that like you can just put little bits of it into your art or your poem or maybe a little tiny bit of climate change related 
things into the speech that you're going to give to your class. So like little tiny bits like that, that might get brains thinking mm -hmm. um, is a great way to get involved. Okay, so let me know what you all think about this. I have an idea about how to end this. I know that many of you wrote poems about climate change. Would anyone like to end this episode by reading theirs? I am always willing, but again, I'm always willing. So if somebody else wants to, then. Um, I do have mine right here. Um, I honestly really don't care who reads theirs, to be honest. So Maybe since Eleanor spoke up first, Eleanor and then Sophie. Okay, yeah, that sounds good. All right. So I wrote a haiku about climate change, specifically about um, the changing borderlines between seasons and flooding problems. Um, it goes, the ice is melting. The rivers rise fast and flood. Breakup comes early. That was great, Eleanor. Sophie, do you want to go next? Yeah, of course. So my poem is one that I created in a workshop during the Teen Climate Communicators. Sorry, the Teen Climate Communicators. Um, and it's about an experience that I had with my family, um, like on the water. And it was just a very joyful time for me where, um, yeah, I just wasn't aware of much else except for the experience. Peaceful was the water in the archipelago. We were surrounded by family as we embraced the moment, watching sailboats float by slowly. We were surrounded by chatter and laughter as we docked at the little island, hopping off the bow with glee. It seemed like all my worries had been cured. And so that was just a time when um, I wasn't really aware of much else around me, just the time and um, yeah. That's great. Thank you, Sophie. And you know, that does it for all my questions. You know, this was this was really great. And I want to thank everyone so much for your time. Sophie, Eleanor, Emma H and Emma E. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? Um, I just like to say thank you to Missy and Aaron and you, Cody, for giving me and us this opportunity to express um how we feel and give us this chance and this opportunity to talk like this. It's really, really meaningful. So thank you. I second the motion. Yes, and I also want to thank um, all the people who were involved, all the guest speakers, Missy, Aaron, um, and you, Cody, also, um, for making this experience just wonderful and like eye-opening for me. Thank you for this opportunity. It was really enjoyable and I really learned a lot. For more information about the Anchorage Museum, visit anchoragemuseum.org. This podcast was produced by me, Cody Liska, for the Anchorage Museum. With additional help from Missy Galkey and Aaron Marbarger. Chattermark's music is produced by Keys Open Doors.